As a podcast host and personal trainer, I have the privilege to be equipped to empower others through who I have on my podcast, which makes me that much more excited to present to you Anna Sweeney, who is disabled, who battles MS, who specializes in nutrition for people based on body image and based on eating disorders. There's so much that she brings to the table. She has years and years of experience. Her social media has really been taken off. I've seen a lot of my trainer friends in Edmonton reposting her stuff. So I hope you check this one out. I hope you repost it. I hope you help me spread the message. And thank you for supporting me. Let's get started. Welcome to the Lifestyle Chase Season 2. This podcast features high performers who have found a way to live their best life while balancing their health, wellness, friends, and family. I'm your host, Chris Little. Let's get started. The Lifestyle Chase is brought to you by Yeg Fitness. Yeg Fitness is Edmonton, Alberta, Canada's healthy lifestyle community, creating and supporting active living for all. Check them out online at yegfitness.ca and on social media at yegfitness. All right, so welcome to episode 85 of the Lifestyle Chase. I am joined by Anna Sweeney. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thanks so much for asking. How are you doing? I'm awesome. Um, I'm curious, what what did you have to do before you got ready for this podcast? What was your routine like today? Um, So I've seen two clients in the office already, um, and my preparation was opening Google Chrome because it is not my preferred browser. <laughs> what well, what is your preferred browser? Oh, it's Safari. I don't know why. It's just what my computer has automatically on the dock. That makes sense. That that's a good segue to a question that I ask a lot of people and it's in terms of technology and what kind of a barrier it is in working with people. What's the biggest barrier that technology poses with you being a people-based professional? So as a registered dietitian, I can't provide um, virtual nutrition counseling. And I think, and and really the only place that I am um, particularly involved in promoting myself, and I, I I hate to even call it promoting myself, but kind of spreading my message is really on Instagram. And so I try my best to be as interactive as I can Um, But it certainly means that I am aware of the fact that there are lots of people that I can't actually serve because of the nature of the work that I do. It really does require, um, for the the most part, in-person consultation and an entire treatment team. I like that. That's a good answer. And my next question is, of all of the in-person interactions that you've had so far in your career, which one kind of stands out the most? And you might have a few, but if you can think of one right now, which one stands out the most and why? So I think that you know this about me because you found me. Um, I So I, I'm an eating disorder dietitian and I work with humans um, predominantly struggling with, with body image and kind of discontent in just living in their skin, which I think is really... Um, culturally pretty normative right now, given the nature of diet and wellness culture and just how ubiquitous messaging around kind of idealized bodies and idealized ways to eat. Um, Like that that stuff is just everywhere. Um, So some of my most poignant experiences have been with working with clients um, and based on the nature of the work that I do, I see people for longer periods of time than another type of practitioner might, um, but being able to work with a client at, who has not felt at peace in their body for maybe their whole life and then being able to watch them like slowly start to peel back the layers that have been keeping them from really em- embracing their bodies, embracing like the world and like fully living. Um, has been really, really rewarding. And that has happened on a number of occasions. Um, and certainly watching my clients just do the brave work that they do 
um, it is it is humbling and just like ultimately badass. Every everything that I do is, or every client that I work with, is um, a really like humans to be admired. That's a really good answer. And something that like of all the things, because there's a lot of attributes to why you do what you do and what makes you who you are that stand out to you that make you a perfect guest for this podcast. One of those attributes that really kind of like hit me in the face was just the fact that you have had your battle with MS. Um, can you tell me a bit more about like what it was like when you were first diagnosed? Like where were you at in your life and what was that emotion? What, what was that feeling that you had? Um, well, I was a baby. I was 15 years old when I was diagnosed with MS. Um, and I, I think I was mostly angry. Like, it, it, actually, that's a lie. I think because of the fact that I had my first, I had my first flare when I was 15 and I was in the hospital, I got steroids, um, and like the fire went out as it were. And so my, my flare went away and I felt like myself again. And I just felt like a normal kid. Um, I really didn't do anything differently. I did have, I have 13 flares from my freshman year to my senior year of high school. Um, but it just meant getting IV solumedrol, which is just a, like high dose prednisone. Um, and I, I went back to just feeling like me. And so it was really hard for me as a very young person to get my head around what it meant to live with a chronic illness. I think um, I have a lot of privilege. I, I certainly, um, living with thin privilege, um, being young, relatively young, not 15 anymore, thank God, um, and relatively attractive and white has made it possible for me to have a pretty um, gentle transition into living now as, as a disabled person, a disabled person that is still working. But when I, when I was first diagnosed, I never, ever, like the, the things that happen to me on a daily basis and kind of the concessions that I have to make on a semi-regular basis, I, I never expected to have to do the, to like make those concessions. And I still don't. Um, so when, when I was really young, I, I took my diagnosis seriously, but I, <laughs> I have very specific memories of, of like coming home from parties and being like kind of tipsy in high school and having my mom give me my shots and just like moving on with my life as though I didn't have, have this disease. Um, I graduated college really, really quickly because I wanted to be able to like quote, do this work that I love so much before I couldn't do it anymore. But when I was saying that I was fully able-bodied and basically like I was saying completely on, like it wasn't a, like a validated statement. It was just a bunch of bullshit actually. I just wanted to like get out of school and um, go as quickly as I could. Um, and so I did and I'm really, really grateful that I, I'm really, really grateful that I did. Um, but certainly starting out, um, I was just really naive about it. And now it's a part of my life that I, I have to think about every day, but it's not, you know, it's never been a forefront thing. That's a good answer. So MS, like I know so many people that battle it and it has so many different ways to like, people can have completely different outcomes. They can have completely different okay. journeys. Um, has your nutrition, your, your own personal nutrition choices been affected by your battle with MS? So I'm going to back up and if it's okay with you, just kind of talk a little bit more about MS specifically as a disease, because so when I started, when I was 15, I had what is called relapsing remitting MS. And a lot of people have that condition where it's basically dormant unless it's not dormant. Um, and then as the disease progresses, and here I am 20 years later, um, almost 20 years later, <laughs> with this disease, and I have, I have transitioned into secondary progressive MS. So now 
I don't flare anymore. I don't have attacks and my disability is progressing. And so in the time that I have had, I mean, since the time I was probably 16, my mom, who is just a lovely human, but has, has been very invested in nutrition being kind of part of the solution. Um, and I, again, this is like a really hard topic for me because it speaks to a level of privilege when people are preoccupied about and able to be financially preoccupied about food as a solution. It really, me, I mean, it means that there is, there, there's just, there's financial privilege if, if nothing else. So we had, I had the ability to be concerned about food and think about maybe um, nutrition being the thing that was going to help keep me well. Uh, and so over the years I have dabbled in with varying degrees of commitment, certainly when I was very young. And the first recommendation my neurologist made for me was to be on a very low saturated fat diet. And so I, and this is when I was a child, um, started to eat like very briefly took it like, um, had a little trip into kind of like vegetarian land, eating like tofu dogs, which I'm sure are better now than they were 20 years ago, but it was not good. Um, and I was not living my best life, but also because I was living with relapse and remitting MS, it felt really fruitless and foolish. Um, there are now several autoimmune protocols that I, certainly I see this with my clients. Um, and as someone living with MS, I remember when I read Terry Wall's book, um, that Terry Walls is a medical doctor who lives with multiple sclerosis. And she wrote a book about how she healed herself of progressive MS. And the thing about MS is that there is actually no cure. And so I am certain that nutrition and overall well-being has a, and, and self-care and the ability to sleep and have social connections. Like there are a lot of protective factors, a lot of things that keep us feeling well. So I, I will say that nutrition and, and fitness, I remember it was, so when I was 16, 17, um, my mom bought me my first juicer and um, I started my neurologist, my first neurologist recommended that I follow a very low saturated fat diet, um, which is documented in some of the MS research. And I remember being very frustrated because I thought that that meant being effectively a vegetarian. So tried like tofu dogs, which 20 years ago, and they may be, they're better now, but they were not good. Um, and making a short but valiant attempt um, at changing my diet. Although I always ate relatively well, my family, it's just, that was just kind of part of the way that I, the way that I grew up. Um, I do remember my mom getting me memberships to multiple gyms and really harping on the importance of physical activity as a means of maintaining my physical body and my ability to, um, you know, I, 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 again, like who knew that this would be where I would be ever. Um, but it was really emphasized that fitness and less nutrition, but fitness was a, a priority. And I certainly rebelled against that, even though I loved being outside, I loved like playing around. Um, I, yeah, like I, I love to run. That's kind of my sport of, of choice. And now I engage in very, very different physical activity. But when I was young, I was not at all interested in what my mom was selling me and wasn't interested in the opportunities that she was providing to me at the time. Um, so I had a very brief kind of stint with trying to follow a particular diet when I was young. And then I kind of forgot about I mean, it's easy to kind of forget that you have MS, not that it's like a thing that you forget about, but if it's not something that's affecting your day to day, um, 
I really just didn't, I didn't really think about it. And I didn't really want to think about it because I was a kid and I just wanted to be a kid. Um, fast forward to being in my late twenties and my disease is changing in ways that feel really frightening. And I, um, started following Terry Wall's like immune, uh, like immune protocol for the treatment of MS. She is a medical doctor who has secondary progressive MS and wrote a book about how she quote healed herself from multiple sclerosis, which is not actually a thing because to date MS does not in fact have a cure. Um, but I am far too wise to not want to give this a go. Um, which is a really conflictual thing for me because as an eating disorder dietitian, I very, very, and just as a dietitian and a human, I very firmly believe that all food is okay and every food can fit, but I was feeling really terribly. And I, like so many people who are in situations where they don't feel well, um, wanted to put my hope in some dietary miracle. So I, for the first time in my life, stopped eating intuitively and started following a very regimented, me like mechanistic manner of eating. Um, and here I am today to say that I very much still have MS and I did not heal my own MS with following an autoimmune protocol. This is not to say that if someone is finding relief from you know, drinking bone broth and eating tons of vegetables and limiting, you know, certain things in their life. That's totally fine. And I, I respect those choices. Um, but I think it's very, very challenging to tell someone who has a chronic illness that there is a thing that they could be doing better to affect change in the outcome. Um, in retrospect, it is, it is a part of the reason why I am so outspoken about these things on social media is because I think that it is um, really unfortunate that people are put in a position where they feel like they are responsible for management of a disease state that is actually kind of running behind the scenes anyway. I eat all of the right foods. I moved all of the right ways. There's no reason, you know, big quotes around it, that my disease is, is doing what it is. And I can eat in a way that doesn't work for me and makes me feel guilty if I don't do it perfectly, or I can just eat. So I choose the latter. Yeah. And I think that's a great way to put it. And I think a lot of people will appreciate hearing that because it's just like, I, as far as I know, I think I've had like two or three other people living with MS on my podcast. And every time their experience is very different and every time like their their routine is very different and it's always based around like being active and eating well. But it's just like it's such a such a thing to battle. And so to make it to frame it more psychologically soundly is is probably the better option. Like why why be hard on yourself when you when you don't know necessarily what the outcome will be because it's like it's not the most predictable illness really in fact it is quite the opposite of yeah predictable. exactly <laughs> and it's not to say that i don't i i engage in health promoting behaviors i i feed myself thoughtfully and well and i think thoughtful nutrition is about like healthful health promoting foods whatever that means um and also eating food that is enjoyable, like nutritious food and delicious food. They both are part of a healthy and balanced relationship with, with our bodies, with our interaction with food. And I engage, I go to the gym four days a week, um, doing things that I never, ever, 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 ever thought that I would be doing because I, I mean, I just, you don't picture yourself as a disabled person if you have a progressive disability it's i mean it's very very humbling but i won't stop because i have no interest in not being able to walk yeah what's what's the most empowering workout that you had in the year 2019 2019 i think 
So at this time, I am, I'm working with a physical therapist um, in, in the gym that I've done all of my work in. And um, I think some of the most interesting work that I have done it has actually been around increasing my speed of walking. Um, so I'm doing like, I have like weighted vest and pulling weight behind me with my walker and then we pull the weight off and then I walk without it. And I'm like, it's, it's like funny because it's not fast at all, but I am like actually getting faster. And that's a really cool thing. Um, there's like a 50 yard turf in, in the, the, it's not a gym, like the facility that I work out in. Um, and it, it, that's a lie. It is a gym, but it's, it's a specialized spot, not for bodies like mine. It's it, I go, I work out at Cressy sports performance. And so I'm working out with a bunch of baseball players. Yeah. Um, but yeah. That's such a cool facility to be at, especially like, because yeah, the, the things that you would be seeing around you, would be so specialized around sports. So I think that's a great atmosphere to be in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. I mean, I know Corey Kluber. Like I know, I know like professionally, it's like, it's very wild. And I, I mean, I think Cressy is, it's a great place to be. And I lost, so my, my trainer, Frank Duffy, who had worked with for a long time, and there are actually a lot of videos of me working out with him um, on his page like we we did a lot of really cool stuff together and again my body is different from when it was when i was working with him but i i i like living lifting heavy things i like doing things that make me feel strong um even though my it's not even a matter of endurance but i suppose that it is because like my my fatigue is just such that my muscles will not allow me to kind of function for the rest of the day. I work out in the mornings um, three days a week. And on Saturdays, I work out kind of whenever. And it, when I come from my from the gym to my office, I'm like dragging ass to get in here. What is uh, like the, the biggest motivating piece that you use for yourself on a day when you're just not feeling it? Because I can imagine there's probably days when it's like, oh, I just, you know, I've had it. I'm not going to go to the gym today. Like, what, what do you do to like spark that fire? I've never had that day. That's awesome. I, 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 I like, I really like moving. Um, and at this point, point and I actually I really appreciate moving at Cressy because at like there is like the hashtag at Cressy is CSP family it's really true like I I feel really cared for and I know a lot of people and um I I'm just I'm really well taken care of but I like I like to move and I have no interest in not being able to and I know like not even a question it's similar to the work that i do like if i if i were to stop moving my body i i do have a fear that i would ha i would actually stop moving my body i'm i'm not playing with that yeah yeah absolutely and i think uh you alluded to something that's really important to me and it's like the whole idea of community like it's it's that reason to come back it's that uh motivation that you see within others it's the way people treat you it's what they embody as human beings if you were to describe like a person's characteristics that that make it easier for you to come to the gym what are those characteristics like what stands out to you about like the people at Cressy so I think I mean there's something like really lovely about being in my 30s and like being training like training with there are kids that are as young as like 12, like nine, 10, 11, 12. Um, and then there are people who are older than I am. Um, but there, you know, the humans are just generally positive there. And because of the fact that I am at the gym as consistently as I am, I get to know the trainers and I get to know the interns and I care about, I get, I care about them. Um, and so, there is something really nice about walking into the gym and having most everybody there like know who I am 
and be excited for me, even though comparing what I do to another human is, is not, it's not real. Like there's no, nobody is looking at me and saying, Oh my God, I couldn't do this thing that Anna just did. Um, and I walk, I watch people do these amazing things that I will probably never be able to do. Um, but it's just a community of people pushing themselves as hard as they can with, you know, different goals. And so it might be about like, in my case, staying as strong as I can and as mobile as I can. And some people are like training to be drafted to get like pulled up into the big leagues. Like, so it's just different levels of the highest level athlete. And it's incredible. And myself an athlete. <laughs> well, like there's athletes in there that are getting inspiration from you. Cause just like you see them working their ass off, they see you working your ass off. Like yeah. in perspective, like yeah, just, it's, it's, not, it's not false. I don't I have, I have no interest. I have zero interest in being like an inspiration. So when I hear that, like it gets, I, I get, that's not, that's not cool. Um, but I think you're right. Like there is something about like all of us showing up, trying to build, lift each other up. And that, that really matters. Yeah. I think that's important. There's another part about you that really stood out and it's is your specialization in working with people with eating disorders. And I listened to one of the other podcasts that you made an appearance on and you kind of talked about your why and like what, what sparked your passion about that. And you also talked about how fast you went through the schooling, but that was crazy. So first of all, I just, I'm curious to know a bit more about the why to explain it for, for my listeners and like what makes you so passionate about it and what might have uh, inspired you to go through that schooling as fast as you did? So I'll answer the last question first. I went through school really quickly. Um, knowing, again, I was totally able-bodied. My disease was stable, but knowing that I had this illness and really wanting to be able to do the exact job that I have now, but like really wanting to accelerate things so that I could do this for a longer period of time. Um, and it's, I mean, I'm super grateful now that I made that choice then because in 11 years I have, I have achieved quite a lot in, in a, in a short, in a relatively short time. Um, and it's, I, I'm, I'm just grateful that I did it quickly. And it was because I was running away from my illness. Um, and my sister is actually the reason why I became an eating disorder dietitian. My original, um, dream as a, like a young college girl was to be a sports broadcaster. I wanted to be one of those women on like the football field interviewing the athletes after the games. Um, and then I lost my ability to wear high heels and very quickly I was like, okay, so this is not going to work. Um, I was at a college away from my family and I transferred back home and I came back home to a sister that I, I really couldn't recognize her. Um, Katie was in, in not in a, in a healthy space. Um, and I took my first, I took my first nutrition class and I, kind of put two and two together and realized that I could do work to not necessarily help my sister, but to help other people get well. So I could tell my sister that people get well. And I am so grateful to say that Kate, that my sister is, is well, and that I have seen, I mean, at this point in my life, I've seen many thousands of clients and many of them have gone on to recover and live really full lives. Would you say that it's, it's easy to tell, like, cause you, you could see it in your sister, but it was when you did your education that it really became more profound. I, I find in my experiences, the, the people that I've known, sometimes it's like, you, you don't realize that this person has a battle that they're battling until you get to know more about them. And the thing is the majority of eating disorders and I, and I actually missed a step. So I learned about Katie's eating disorder 
when I was a senior in high school and she was a sophomore and she had, my sister was an avid journaler and she had written in her journal, well, I guess I have an eating disorder. And I drove my sister, we were going to the mall to return something and I yelled at my sister. Why would you do this? You're so smart. Everybody loves you. Like you're so good at sports. You're so beautiful. This is so stupid. Like having no, because I didn't have lived experience with an eating disorder, I yelled at my sister. Um, and knowing what I know now, the majority of people who struggle with eating disorders um, don't look sick. And so when we think about what we kind of stereotype as an eating disorder, um, we are missing most of the humans who are actually suffering. So it's really important that we're not actually using solely, like relying solely on visual cues to indicate anything because we're missing the bulk of the people that are suffering, if that's the way that we're determining illness. It's so true. And it's like something that comes in like with, with communication and being able to really uh, work on how we communicate with people it allows us to kind of ask the questions that give us the answers that we may not have had otherwise. Mm -hmm. um, when it comes to this, for your experience, because you're you're the one who works with uh, this on a daily basis, like what are the communication strategies that you've found to be the most effective? So because of, because of the fact that I work with my clients, that I mean, my clients self-select I'm a bit of a one trick pony. I do eating disorder work all the time. Um, and so the nature of the work that I do really is about being in relationship with the person that I'm sitting with. It's not about me having the expert nutrition information because Dr. Google is really helpful um, and also very deleterious, but my clients know more about food than I do. And it's not because I wasn't educated about nutrition. Of course I was, but nutrition science is an evolving science. And the things that people are preoccupied with are things that we're finding on the internet that are telling us like, these are the foods that are gonna save you and these are the foods that are gonna kill you. And it's, it's, not, a, it's a not about a knowledge deficit. So it really like this nutrition therapy is actually, it's a, it's a therapeutic relationship in which I help people heal their relationships with food. But thinking about this from like a training perspective or from a not, not necessarily um, like an eating disorder dietitian specific role, I, I really think like asking thoughtful questions about somebody's relationship with food and referring out to experts is really, really important because these are the most lethal of all psychiatric illnesses. Absolutely. I completely agree. Like that's, that's one of the beauties of social media is it allows for this extremely like broad network of people with different scopes and people with different experiences. And by having a podcast like this, there, there's lots of people that could use you as a resource, but then all of a sudden they, they don't have to bring up the, the discussion. They just have to listen to the episode and then all of a sudden they're like, oh, well, actually there, there's people who sp like they specialize in this kind of Absolutely. kind of work. We are all over the world. It's it's amazing just how how connected people can be. And I've noticed like your Instagram has really kind of like picked up speed. Like ah. your, your content is is on fire. So I don't, so I got I. Instagram gave me the blue check mark. Yeah. Uh, I woke up one day and I had the verified thing. And so it wasn't, a th I didn't apply for it. It just, I, I got it. Um, and since then, I, a lot, I, I don't, I don't really understand the al algorithm. I don't really understand how any of it works. Um, and so I've just been, I've been really fortunate, but I also, I, I work really hard to protect the clients, or the, not the clients, the humans who I interact with on Instagram to make sure that my my page stays a safe place where um, there aren't a lot of trolls offering nasty anything to any of the people that are, are there. I try to keep it um, really safe and really um, like pro recovery. And I'm, cl I'm clearly a health at every size 
practitioner, so I'm speaking about things that are controversial and, and that it shouldn't be controversial, right? The opposite of dieting should not be controversial, but in fact it is. And so what I am presenting is not unique unto me, but it is, um, I think what we are going to be seeing culturally is a, is a shift away from conventional dieting and body hatred and moving towards self-acceptance and self-care. I completely so agree. I think that that's kind of my page. I don't know. I just, I feel really lucky. I feel really, really lucky that my, um, my Instagram community is, is what it is. Well, the thing that stands out to me is it's one thing to create a bunch of content and fill up a page, but it's another thing to create content and material with intention and have it be like very genuine and heartfelt, which like a person, we can read between the lines. Like if somebody makes something and it looks just really fake or versus somebody making something and it looks like, wow, like this is coming from their heart. Like it's, it's easy to see. And with your stuff, it's like, no, like she, she's passionate about what she does. She puts a lot of work into it. And this is the product of, of hard work. So what, what's the post that you're the most proud of that you can think of off the top of your head? Um, that's a good question, Chris. I'm going to think about that, but I also want to say I write my posts. So I make, I make memes like as a little bit of an art project. Um, and I, when I first started doing it, my husband got so, he was so frustrated because I was like spending so much time on this Instagram thing. And then I started getting, I, I mean, I get offers for product sponsorship things every single day. I haven't signed up. I haven't, aligned with anything because it doesn't feel like it's in line with my brand to be making money off of doing work that feels like I should just be doing it anyway. Um, but that's another, that's another topic altogether. I think, um, there are, I can't really pick one post that has been like the most meaningful. It's always interesting what gets people's, um, attention and most of my most of my feed is actually just words right it's not there are not a lot of pictures of me because i don't think you need to i don't think anybody needs to see more thin white women on instagram and so occasionally when i have my i mean it's just it's just true um I, I don't, and I choose to not really feature my body as part of my brand because that's not, that's not it. Although I do believe there is something important about featuring disabled bodies um, because of the fact that I don't, ha my page is not dedicated exclusively to that of my being a disabled person or speaking to like the ableism of the world. That's, that's part of what I do. I have a pretty diverse I have a pretty diverse page in that regard, but I, um, I think the things that I am most proud of on my Instagram page are not actually things. And this is actually an awesome answer because I need all of your followers to go check me out at dietitian Anna, because the coolest thing that has happened because of my 45,000 followers and that, that actually did happen quickly. I went from like 35 to four, like, it's just, things are moving now. Um, in a way that is not in my control. I'm not doing anything. Um, the coolest thing that has come out of my Instagram is the inaccessible views stories, the highlights. I don't know if you've seen them, yeah. but I, uh, and, and now we're coming on a year ago, I um, was really missing being outside. I grew up in South Dakota. I love, I love nature. I love being outside. I love hiking. I love all of those things and I can't do it anymore. And so I asked for inaccessible views. And now I have photographs and videos from all over the world, from people who I know and people who I don't know, um, where I'm on my third highlight reel, whatever. So they're like, what does that mean? There are 250 videos of places all over the world, which has been I mean, most of the videos, to be honest with you, like make me cry. Every time I see one, it's like, oh, like my heart, I wish I could be outside with you. But yeah. it's, such, it's such a gift because I kind of am outside 
for just a so- like just a second. I think that's incredible. Like for for that to be a motivator for sharing your Instagram handle. Like my my followers got your back. We're gonna show you all oh, of Canada. Oh, wait, <laughs> wait. <laughs> so good. Please do. And like the cool thing is like the reason I discovered you. Well, first of all, I saw one of your posts, and it just really stood out to me. But it got shared by a few of my trainer friends here in Edmonton. And then I talked to one of them about it because I think I reshared and he was like, yeah, she's dope. And I'm like, dude, I'm going to see if she'll come on the podcast. Are you interested in listening to it? And he's like, yeah, I'm excited. So it was like, it was such a wholesome, natural way for it to happen. And it's cool to, it's one thing to select a person based on popularity, but it's another thing to select a person based on integrity, which is something that I think you have a lot of, which makes it really exciting to promote you on, on my podcast, because I think like actions speak louder than words. Like a person can, can be all talk, all talk and be like, I'm changing the world. Or a person can like breach the hard topics that aren't put on, on the platform as often. And it's so great to see that, that you're getting so much momentum on social media because you deem it to be very important to talk about these things that are not talked about enough, like the, the health at every size and just like talking about, uh, about the, the diet culture, but just framing it in a way that allows people to live a healthier life, you know? No, I've, I've been very, I've been very lucky. And I actually, I think not to go back, but to go back to Cressy for a moment, like, because Frank put me on social media as such, like, I was a big part of his, um, his page for a year and a half. Um, and I actually spoke at one of his seminars, like, there are, I, I have been nicely kind of welcomed into the fitness community in a way that I wouldn't have without Frank conventionally have been kind of like introduced. And so like now Eric will sometimes like retweet or retweet, um, share a thing that I, that I post. And there are a bunch of trainers who are now like interested in what it is that I have to say, which is why I actually do um, make an effort to actually make some of my, posts more pointed towards you as adjunct health professionals because the work that you do is integral to the work that I do. And so if we can find a way to find common language and make sure that we are helping our people move towards health, that is fantastic. And I am just so grateful for having opportunities like this um, to be able to speak to a larger community because of because of how um, relatively small my the eating disorder community is, I am fortunate. I have a hand in the disabled community, and I have a hand in the MS community for sure. And I have a hand in a little bit of the strength and conditioning com- community. Not because and I am an ACE personal tra- like a certified personal trainer, but um, that was just because I was frustrated with trainers giving nutrition information. And I wanted to be able to say something about like moving a body and be a registered dietitian at the same time. I do not have that certification anymore because uh, what would I do with it? Um, But I'm just, I am so, I'm so fortunate. I'm so lucky that there's um, such a wonderful community of people who are just looking to help people live better lives. And so, yeah, I'm I'm a hundred percent Chris the lucky one here. Absolutely. Who who are three people that you look up to in that ah, three people that you look up to in the world? Mm. Okay. Um I think my husband is a really incredible human. He has been sober for nineteen years this St. Patrick's Day, and I think that that, that is badass in every single way um and it's just convenient that i get to like sleep in bed with him that's that's awesome to be inspired that way um i think that there's an instagram blogger or she's not a blogger um i guess she's she's a she's an essayist 
and I don't know her name. Um, she doesn't share her name, but her handle is your fat friend. Um, the writing that she does has been really, really paramount in helping me to kind of, sh and this is a work in progress and it kind of always will be. Um, but I think she has done a beautiful job of sharing um, the experience of what it is like to navigate the world as a, a fat person um, and has been a resource for a lot of my clients, but also has helped me to really um, just understand things in ways that I wouldn't be able to understand if she didn't exist. So I'm very, very grateful for her. Um, and there are far too many dietitians who do the work that I do for me to name just one that I admire, but I am actually going to um, give a shout out to my colleague and friend, Fiona Sutherland. She lives in Australia and has been doing this work for a lot of years and she's just like badass and wonderful. And I, um, I am, I'm just, I'm just very grateful for her. When you're deciding who is in your tribe, as it were, like what characteristics stand out to you? Like what core values do you deem to be the most important to have? I think that there is something really beautiful about no, like having a fully formed brain and not being 26 years old means like people who know themselves um, and kind of don't apologize for what, like the way that they show up. And it doesn't necessarily mean that I'm going to like everything about a human, but a person who is rooted in whatever it is that they, that whatever it is that they value, I find that to be really um, admirable and really easy to be around. Um, obviously I like people who are compassionate and thoughtful. I really like to laugh. So if you can make me laugh, um, I will be there. Uh, just, I think real people who are showing up, not in a way that is about pleasing me or pleasing anybody else, but is about honoring themselves. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's an important sentiment to have because it's just so many people get wrapped up in the, what will so-and-so think or like having to life compete with others. Yeah. Life is too short. It's like, we, we got to look after ourselves first and surround ourselves with people who are looking out for themselves because in turn, how they show up for us is going to be in a healthier version of them. Yep. Yep. And I think, may I remember when I first started as a dietitian and, um, I, I didn't want to like refer clients out because I was so worried that I wouldn't have clients coming back in and I didn't want to. Um, it wasn't that I didn't want to share, but I was just worried that other people would, you know, be better at a job than me. And the fact is, the way that I practice is really different from the way that other people practice. I'm a pretty straight shooter. Um, I don't negotiate with eating disorder terrorists, which means that for someone who needs a bit more coddling um, or can't tolerate a human who swears every once in a while. Um, I'm, I'm not that person, but I'm like, we are all supposed to be here and be different and off, like we offer different things to the world. Um, and it is those differences that make us cool. I completely agree. Like in my own gym that I work out of, it's basically, it's like a, a we're all contractors paying rent at this gym. So there's all kinds of diverse, different styles of trainers and practitioners. And there's been tons of times when like somebody's coming to me for training and they're looking for a different style of training and I'll be like, oh, well, that guy over there is actually really good at that. And I, I never worry about it because like I've, I've referred clients out to that trainer across the gym and then they've come back to me because we've built that foundation of trust. And yep. they know that if I don't know how to do it to the best of my ability, then yep. I will find them somebody who can. And which is exactly why you're on this podcast, because there are people that I am aware of that might 
gravitate to my message, my message of positivity, who may at some point find themselves in a situation where either they're dealing with symptoms of MS or they're dealing with eating disorder or they just want to know more about nutrition in general or they want to hear something from the voice of a female who's been in this industry for a long time. Like, There's so many reasons to, to have you on here and showcase what makes you good. Even, even if somebody's like, oh man, like she really, uh, overshadowed Chris. He doesn't look as cool now. You, you know, like I'm not, I'm not scared of that. Like it's, it's not a, a fear. <laughs> I did talk a lot. No, no, you didn't. You, you were you good. It was, it was a good delicate balance of me talking and you talking, which is what makes a good podcast. So my next question for you, and this is the one that I ask all of my guests, because it's just fun to see how the answers play out and how everybody is different or the same or whatever it may be. If you could give one piece of advice on how to be the most authentic version of yourself and live your life to the fullest, what would that piece of advice be? I think it actually is about um, not apologizing for having needs and getting really curious about and actually I'm gonna show this is funny um, and only you can see this but I so I have a letter board that I put on Instagram today that is about like not apologizing for honoring your needs is cool I am I, I think again this is a privilege of getting older but I I think that if someone is able to ask for what they need, but before they ask, like figure out what they actually, like what makes them tick, what makes them happy, what makes them sad, what make like what works. Once you make those, once you kind of figure that stuff out, the world is an easier place to be. And this is not, I mean, you don't live in America. Um, and it, this is not, whatever. <laughs> like this is not an easy world to live in like there things are challenging all over the place and if you can figure out who you are what like what works for you and not be an apologist for having needs that is a really 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 strong characteristic that that to me is something that i will always strive for um because i am as so many of us are kind of an, like a serial apologist and um i i am no longer a person who believes that have i mean having needs is not a selfish act it doesn't make somebody needy to have needs you are human um we arrive on this planet with needs we will leave this planet having needs this is how humanity works that was a great answer so thank you again for joining me on the podcast today. Totally my pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope that you enjoyed it. I hope that this gets out to the people that need to hear it, to the people who are looking for someone who specializes in eating disorder or who has battled MS or has a disability. There are so many talking points. We're talking about elevating women in the fitness industry and you're really going to enjoy the next episode coming up. The next one is Jen Kish. She's represented Canada on the world stage. She is a very successful personal trainer local to Edmonton. She's a good human being, and it's going to be rolling out in about two hours. So hold your hats. Hold on to your hats because it's coming in hot.